Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz get beat at home by the Denver Nuggets. Is that the worst loss of the year? I mean, on the one hand, the Nuggets, you know, you look at the standings, they're a good team. They're on track for home court in the first round. Maybe they'll end up at conference final. We'll have to see how it plays out. But that was a shadow of the Denver Nuggets. Seven players between injuries and the trade and guys aren't available because all the contract stuff has to get done and all the physicals have to be passed. Seven games, seven guys, and they're going back-to-back on the road in Utah where the Jazz are at home after three days off to practice, watch film, rest up, get ready to go. I mean, really, everything was loaded in the Jazz's favor. And they had a 15-point lead in the third quarter, and they had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, and they just messed it up. Messed it up. Ten turnovers in the second half, and I thought some really brutal ones in the final seven minutes. They got outscored like 17-5 to to finish the game. It was just terrible. Donovan Mitchell had two two terrible turnovers. Uh, one where he was uh, on a pick and roll, starting to turn the corner, and a guy got beat, reached around, and poked their way from back, from behind. And then when they got a big rebound and had the ball, and I think he had a one-point lead at that point, he's surrounded by four players in the backcourt, and he didn't seem to have any idea that there were guys behind him. And sure enough, they come up, they poke the ball away, they steal it, they go down and score, and the Jazz lose the game. So, we'll get to the best of the post-game show coming up. Uh, the Aggies won. They were in trouble. They were uh, they were struggling with the UNLV. And even when they tied it up, it was 48 all midway through the second half. But that was like their cue to just explode. A 21-6 run to close the game. 11-1, 21-6. And this will shock you, but Sam Merrill hit two really big shots to get the run started, right? Get the ball to your best player with the game on the line. And let him go to work. And he had a couple of huge shots, and the Aggies really dominated the final minute. So they get the win there. Uh, Cougars will play tonight. Utes will play tonight. We'll get to that coming up. Right now, let's get a little football for you. Uh, Kalani Sataki, Kyle Whittingham, meeting with the media as they finish out their recruiting classes. We'll hear from Kyle first. Here he is. Not, not a lot for him to do because they got most of their recruits up front uh, in the early signing day, but still a few guys to sign. Here's Kyle. Okay. Um... Signing day number two. Uh, we are able to finish off our class today. Uh, still waiting on a couple that we expect that we can't uh, talk about till we actually physically get them in our hands. But uh, for all intent and purposes, we're done recruiting for this cycle. Um, feel real good about the class, obviously. To repeat myself, some of the things I said back in December, uh, a great uh, crop of in-state athletes this year. Signed uh, five of the top six. Uh, athletes in the state and when you combine that with five return missionaries from in-state 10 of the 25 allocated uh, initial scholarships will be going to Utah players so so we're excited about that keeping those guys home for the most part you're never going to keep every one of them home it just it's not uh, realistic but we feel we did a a really good job this year in uh, keeping a lot of talent within the state Uh, second up was Texas with five and then uh, Hawaii and California with three each and then one for from New Mexico, uh, Alabama, Arizona, and uh, Oregon. So that rounded out the class. Um, freshman heavy. We only took uh, one junior college player and uh, one uh, JC tra- or not JC transfer portal transfer. And so uh, we're building up the freshman numbers. We have 35. I believe it is uh, freshman on scholarship for this coming fall, which is the most by far that uh, I've, since I've been here at Utah in the 25 years. And so, so we're uh, a lot of young talent in the program. Uh, then we got another uh, 16 or 17 sophomores. So, you know, 50, near 53, 54 of the of the. Uh, 
scholarships by the time it was all said and done of the uh, 85 will be freshman sophomore so a lot of new faces you're going to see this year uh, lost a lot of good players uh, nine uh, going to the combine which is uh, our highest number ever and uh, eight of those on defense so uh, you know it's not not hard to find, uh, figure out why we were uh, formidable on defense this year and had statistically the best defense we've ever had here at the University of Utah so uh, it's going to be uh, Big challenge to replace those guys, but like I said, this young talent is uh, going to get opportunities. Um, we were defensive heavy in this class, uh, 16 defenders, nine offensive players, uh, and again, the reason being is the departure. We had far more uh, graduating players uh, on defense than we did on offense, and uh, offense has got very few new faces, although key guys, you know, the quarterback, the tailback, um, uh, left tackle, so key spots, but not not quali uh, quantity. You know, not not a lot of departure. But anyway, we're uh, you know we're ready to gear up and get going on spring ball, which starts May uh, excuse me March second, and uh, we'll go three days that week. We'll take a week off for spring break, come back and get back after it, and we finish on April 11th with what we believe is going to be the spring game. If our numbers get a little bit. Uh, low then it may be a modified version of a spring game but but uh, that's the plan going forward so questions <coughs> Kyle with this class specifically did you guys want to sign a quarterback considering what the room looked like kind of top heavy with with Drew and Jake being seniors and having Cam the only underclassman in the group uh, yeah, and the quarterback position is unique, uh, and it has become more unique in the last three years with the advent of the portal. And a lot of teams just pick up their quarterback for that year out of the portal, and it's a one-and-done situation. And so, yes, we wanted to uh, to recruit a quarterback and try to balance it out. We've got four quarterbacks uh, that will be in the room, uh, Cam and Jake and Drew Lisk and uh, Cooper uh, Justice. And so we feel we're in a good spot. Now next year we'll have to retool the room again. And it, that quarterback room turns over quite a bit now, and I don't think it's unique to us. I think it's pretty common throughout the country that uh, with the portal and the quarterback probably being the most uh, volatile position, not volatile, but the position that uh, has the most movement, that uh, that's just how it is now. What positions on both sides of the ball are the easiest for freshmen to come in and potentially start or see significant playing time? Uh, that's a good question. It's, it's a relative question. Uh, on defense, uh, you know, the learning curve is the least steep up front on the D-line and outside at corner. Uh, it's quite complex, and at linebacker and safety takes a little more uh, time to learn things in that respect. Um, but physically, you know, to, to get inside and on the interior line and bang in there as a freshman is, is not easy to do unless you're physically ready for that. So, And then offensively, I would say the perimeter is probably the, the fastest place you can plug in, you know, the wide receiver spot. You already have a few of the guys from the 2020 class here on campus. What have you seen from them in their first couple of weeks uh, of work and, and what do you expect from moving forward? Yeah, we've seen great things. I mean, we're, we're excited about it. And those guys that you mentioned, uh, we got obviously Jake Bentley here, Ben Renfro's here, uh, the return missionaries, Hunter Lothan Lille, Taniela Pututau, Tennessee Pututau, and Aliki Vimahi, and then Clark Phillips, our talented corner, is here. We also anticipate getting Kane Savage uh, before. 
too much longer. We're, we're trying to get clearance to the NC2A to get him for spring ball as well. And uh, a lot of good stuff. You know, the, you know, the, the big guys are, are all athletic and move really well. And, and Clark Phillips is quick as a cat. And, and Ben Renfro is, uh, looks like he's going to make that transition from wide receiver to safety. And then Jake Bentley is a proven commodity at QB. Kyle, just generally speaking, can you can you speak to how far your recruiting efforts have come here in the last four or five years? It seems like you guys are in line to have your most successful cycle here ever since you joined the Pac-12. I don't think there's any question about that. Our nest, our net has been cast uh, fairly wide. You know, we got uh, guys from uh, you know a lot of different parts of the country, but more than anything else is we're able to stand toe-to-toe and win some of these battles against high-profile schools. I mean, you look at our recruits and their offer lists of who they had offers by. And, uh, you know, we were beating some really good schools and schools that we could not even have been in the conversation with, uh, you know, six, seven, eight years ago. Can you just speak a little bit more to what Cooper was, like, what intrigued you guys about about Cooper? He has a pretty unique story, and he was a pretty under-recruited kid, <clears throat> but he's a big body, left, left-handed quarterback. Yeah. What was it about his game that you feel like suits this program? Just the upside. He's so, you, you know, you said he's he's raw. That's probably the best way to describe Cooper. He's six foot six plus, probably six, six and a half, 240 pounds. And was injured in high school his sophomore junior year and and uh, really had limited experience his senior year it was really his only year of extensive playing time uh, tremendous baseball player as well he'll probably get drafted uh, but he wants to be a football guy unless he gets drafted really high that uh, shouldn't be a factor but but what Andy really liked is his upside I mean he's uh you know, he looks a lot like Justin Herbert uh, as far as his stature. I mean, you, know, you can't compare him to Justin Herbert for what he's doing at quarterback yet. But as far as how he looks, he looks just like that, although he's a lefty. But uh, we just think that he's a, a, an intriguing guy and also big enough and thick enough to, you know, if it for some reason didn't work out at quarterback, you know, he's a guy that could play probably two or three other spots. But he's a quarterback first and foremost, make no mistake about it. <clears throat> How much did continuity in the rec- in the coaching staff with not having any turnover help with recruiting? Helps a bunch, and that's uh, that's something that I should have mentioned. Uh, you know, right now the entire staff is intact. There's still time for movement. Most of the movement has occurred, but it's not so late in the game that uh, you, know, you saw what happened at Michigan State, you know, today or yesterday. And so, so um, ideally, everyone stays on board. There's no guarantee of that, but I'd say the odds are in our favor at this uh, you know this stage of the game. And, and the continuity of that helped with recruiting. You know, we didn't have to, in midstream, hand off recruits from one coach to another. And uh, a guy that was, you know, really liked his position coach, uh, a recruit, and had to change. You know, when you change coaches, that ob- uh, you know, oftentimes steers that kid in another direction. Will you be able to add a potential transfer this summer? Do you have the space to do that? I know you mentioned you're done in this recruiting mm-hmm. cycle, but uh, will that prohibit you from, from adding a transfer? Potential? Not necessarily. Uh, there's there, there's two limits you're up against. Uh, well, three limits now with the national letter. You can only sign X amount of national letters. But uh, the scholarships, you're up against the 25 initial count year to year and the 85 overall. So we will have room in the 85. And... Uh, you know, if you if a kid decides to join you and, and you don't recruit him, you can count him towards the next year. And so that would be the circumstance that we might be able to add another player or two. I know you can't talk specifics, but off topic, just how disappointed were you in the uh, Terrell Perriman situation here? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I've, I've made the statement on that. And, 
due to you know the nature of the investigation and what's going on, I'm precluded from saying anything or comment in any way, shape, or form, and and uh, that's kind of where that's at. Kyle, two questions. Have you had any changes of positions with guys already in the program? And, and two, how many preferred walk-ons do you guys expect to to join the, the program? Okay, good question. Uh, you know Jason Shelley moved to safety and will stay there. So that's a change that happened at the end of last season. Um, trying to think here. I don't think there's, as of right now, nobody that finished the season at their, their spot has been moved to another spot. Now, that could change in spring. You know, a spring ball goes... It gets underway and starts, uh, you know, starts to progress. That you know, if we see a deficiency somewhere, or we see a guy that that looks like, hey, this guy may be a great fit somewhere else, that could happen. But at this moment in time, no changes. We're going to take the first snap at quarterback in spring ball. Good question. We'll find out. I don't. I couldn't tell you right now. I know that. Uh, Cam and, and uh, Drew, it'll be Cam, Drew, or Jake. How about that? One of those three. Well, they aren't down to those three. So, but uh, don't have an answer right now. <laughs> Kyle, was it expected that Devonta Henry Cole was going to move on from the program? And if so, were you surprised at how quickly kind of his entering the portal and, and committing to BYU took place? You, you know, I, I knew Devonta. We knew Devonta. Uh, was uh, a little disappointed with his production and his amount of playing time and carries and and uh, you know when you're behind Zach Moss that's going to happen. I mean there's three or four backs that probably felt that way, but but Devonte uh, wanted to get into a situation where he could uh, get more opportunity and uh, have a better opportunity to be the the, the number one back, and uh, you know he would have had to earn that here and and uh, couldn't guarantee him anything. And so he did what he thought was best for him. And did it surprise me? No, it did not surprise me. And, uh, you know, he just thought that was his best best uh, course of action. There's Kyle with the media. We're going to take a break and come back and hear from Kalani Sataki. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We just heard from Kyle Whittingham about his signing class. BYU had more work to do here on this second date. And so Kalani talked longer than Kyle did. We're not going to be able to play all of it for you. You can hear it all online at 1280thezone.com. But here's Kalani with the media. First of all, I want to thank everyone involved in the recruiting process, for uh, specifically our players, the ones that hosted and the ones that uh, were involved in mentoring a lot of these recruits on their visits. And then uh, from there, our assistant coaches, the hard work that they put in and, and the whole recruiting process. Some of these guys have been recruited for years and have been, uh, you know, been in our camps and been involved with the relationships with our, our assistant coaches as they recruited them, the position coaches as they started to transfer, uh, transfer them over to being in their position group, and and now uh, making it official by the signing class that we have. And then I want to thank their families for allowing their 
husbands and their dads to go on out on the road and, and recruit hard and be spend a lot of time away from their families. So thank you to the families of the, of the coaching staff and I want to thank our support staff as well, uh, specifically Alema Fitisi Manu with the recruiting. Um, he's been in charge of recruiting now and has done a great job at, at organizing and, and, and um, allowing our recruits on official visits to have a great um, experience. If you look at the retention rate <clears throat> of the recruits that come on visits, uh, we have a really high percentage, and so uh, that's a, a lot in, in, in relation to what LM has done for us in, in this program. And um, things that he has done and what our program has done involving the faculty and the staff in the recruiting process has been a huge benefit for us and a huge advantage and uh, for our players, our recruits to have such a great relationship with our teachers that are on campus. Uh, the administrators have all been so, uh, great support and been readily available for any of our players to meet with them upon request and, and a lot of them just like being around our guys. So um, that's been a, a big part of the success that we've had in this recruiting class and feel really good about the guys that we have coming into this program and <clears throat> they're from so many different uh, parts of the, of, the, of the country. We look at recruiting from Arizona, California, Florida, Hawaii, Nevada, South Carolina, Utah, and even one from France. <clears throat> so looking forward to these guys coming in and, and playing right away, and then a good portion of them also going on missions as our part of our developmental plan. We'll see them in a couple years, and then we're also welcoming back a, a, a good group of players that we signed a couple years ago, you know, and so uh, we have some mid-year signees that, that uh, are in the, on the list that we can be added to our our, our team right now. They're, they've joined us in January, then we also have a good number of young men that are joining us throughout spring and summer as we get ready for the season in the fall. And so that's our class, and um, to my left, I have our defense coordinator, Elisa Tuyaki, our special teams coordinator and assistant head coach, Ed Lamb, and to my right, I have our offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes, and we're here for any questions that you may have. Open it up to the media. Thank you. <clears throat> Kalani, in what areas do you feel this class improves your program and what skill sets? I think the you know in the past we've really brought up some guys that were developmental and even some guys that started with us. I think the missionaries go right into the developmental program because you don't see them for a couple of years. But uh, I think this year we've kind of been going that route. The trend of the last year is having guys that are probably more ready to get on the field right away. And we see a lot of guys that can contribute, whether they're JC uh, transfers or um, a graduate transfer or, or or freshmen coming from high school. I think these guys are a little bit more ready to play. And, and uh, we're going to have to lean on them because of the type of schedule that we play in and, and some of the things that we have to test with our depth. So I think looking at the, the group, we have a, a lot of great recruiters on our coaching staff that, that are able to, to you know, develop and recognize guys at a young age and seeing the development of some of these kids that we recruited since their freshman, sophomore year, developing to what they are now. I think they're going to be, um, for the most part, I think they're more ready to play uh, this fall if they're called on. Connie, as a coach, you've dealt with, you know, going through this process with the missions and 
grad transfers and all of the different pieces that have to come together. How has your approach and just understanding of, of putting all those pieces together kind of evolved over the last few years as you've, as you've kind of you know worked through it year after year? Well, we're looking at the analytics, the data that we have, and, and the success of the missionaries specifically coming home from their missions at which time. And uh, we've been able to make some adjustments and get them at the right time to start school. And um, also um, adding into the type of workouts that they're going to have and the type of uh, transition they need from being on a mission for a couple of years to, to going to be a, a big time contributor in, in Division One football, you know, so uh, we, we luckily we have a lot of guys on our staff that have served missions, guys on our team have served missions, and, and then even guys in our strength room that have served missions, so that we can be able to lean on that heavily and see some of the experience that they've had, but also checking the data and researching and, and trying to talk to as many people as we can to get the best environment for our players to have success with with being back from their missions. Kalani, you mentioned the uh, retention rate in regards to official visitors. It feels like compared to previous years, your, your staff's been a little more selective on offers. So what was the retention rate as far as just guys you, you offered? Because it seems like you guys are more selective this year. Yeah, I think um, is, is probably because we had a lot of guys that were committed early, you know. I mean, you look at a, a young man that's been committed since his sophomore year um, that, that has kind of closed off recruiting, and you see, uh, you know, for him it doesn't really matter if he's going to get more offers or not. BYU is where he wanted, wants to be, and we've had those guys. that We have a lot of guys that have been in that category, and then just making sure that we get guys that fit what we want here, you know, and that's the academics, the honor code, and, and those are things that we're using as strengths and, and, and um, you know, where we can kind of filter out the guys that think they can make it here, guys that are willing to, um, you know, raise up their standards and, and be able to, to match the expectations that we have here as a coaching staff and as a fan base. And that's been part of the main reason. Plus, uh, because our, our, our um, you know, our retention and our Official visits have been pretty good. We were able to use a lot of preferred walk-ons and being able to recruit every roster spot on our on our on our team. You know, it's not just uh, looking at the 85 scholarship guys, but it's looking at the guys that we can bring in that can contribute right away. Guys like what Ed found in Peyton Wilgar uh, that had a huge impact on our team, and um, nobody was on him really. You know, and, and and looking at the guys that we know we can develop as preferred walk-ons to move into a possible scholarship spot, and um, those are a lot of guys. We played with a lot of them this year. I could probably, I mean, Baylor Romney comes to mind, um, Peyton Wilgar, Tyler Algier, those guys have, have worked their way through it and earned scholarships and found a, a place in the, on the depth chart. So it's just not just a, I guess the, the mindset isn't just to recruit only the scholarship guys, but to recruit everybody and, and take it with, uh, you know, with, with our coaches to have them evaluate every part of this team. For any of the coaches, are there any players in particular that you guys are really proud of getting as someone who's going to show some potential come in the fall or in two years once they serve their missions? Every single one of them. They're all our babies, so we love them all. This is probably something for Ed or Eliza, I don't know, one of you, but it seems like linebacker and kind of the pass rushers was a really big emphasis in this class. I think you got six linebackers and several more that can come off the edge. Did that Was that just sort of happenstance, or was that kind of an eye on this group of just really good, promising linebackers? 
Yep. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'll start with the linebacker question because some, sometimes we will recruit a player who's playing linebacker or defensive end in high school, but, but we may not see them there uh, when they get there. We may see them at a different spot. So as far as the linebackers go, uh, Josh Wilson is actually the only one that, that won't be serving a mission first. So uh, we feel like uh, uh, you know this. Right now we're really young, still at linebacker at BYU on the roster. Feel really good about the, the future for those guys. But uh, but this class really, I think, solidifies the fact that we've got some guys we're really excited about for a really long period of time. And then, uh, yeah, maybe maybe E could take. I know uh, at least Alex Muti was, you know, he's, he's playing a linebacker position, I think listed at linebacker, but we see him more as a defensive end. Yeah, the same same thing that Coach Lyon's been talking about. I mean, for us, there's, um, you know, it's really getting getting the kids that fit into the program and kids that fit the specs as far as what we're looking for. And felt like we got some pretty good height and, and size with the kids that that we got uh, in December and now. And so, um, I think more importantly, we I think we've talked about it for several years now, and it's uh, it's really about getting the right right fit. Kalani, talk about the, what it means to have as many family legacy guys, whether it's brothers or parents that play. We've talked about it before, but mm-hmm. had more in this class that joined that have family ties to the program. What does that mean to, to have these guys you know, come in and join the family tradition of being at BYU? Yeah, and you're probably just talking about siblings, you know, but there's cousins and um, poly cousins, right? So there's a there's a whole a lot of connections. There's there's brothers in the in the gospel and all that stuff. So ward members that have fa- that have friends that in their ward that they push to us and help them some referrals. I remember you guys remember day one, I asked for member referrals for recruits and um, keep them coming because they're they're a big part of what we do. Help us find guys and um, you know it, it's a uh, I think for us the whole recruiting concept of, with the families just kind of happens that way sometimes you know but if you look in the past you, you hear from a lot of the family members that have always played where there's Anais there's Bellinis there's Youngs there's Denny's there's Staley's I'm going to throw Sitake's in there too. There's Atuayas. I mean, this is the ones that are just coming to my to my head, right? And you could probably, there's some BYU football historians out there that see it too. It's nothing that's new. So I think we're on the right trend. And um, it's not like you have to be related to play here, but it also helps, you know. And, and uh, the Kafusis, I mean, shoot, there's a little bunch of them. The Freelands, the whole, yeah. Yeah, MPs. I mean, you're looking at, at, at a bunch of uh, a big connection here. Um, and so uh, I think that just fits what we're trying to establish here as a, as a family unit. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because you would talk about like Tate Romney compared to, you know, Baylor and, and Gunner, and they're really competitive. Um, we're in the home and they're showing us uh, this the, when they're child, when they're children, the videos. And it's like he really had no choice, Tate. He had to play defense every time because <clears throat> Gunner was the receiver and Baylor was always thrown to him. So he was the youngest, just had to tackle everybody. And um, that's just kind of how it works out, you know. So uh, I just think that, you know, they come from <clears throat> same families and same parents and have the same type of standards that we're looking for. But it's not like it's only only exclusive to just a, <laughs> you have to be a, a, a parent or, or a, a child of a BYU legacy person. It's just it works out that way. And this is that was nothing that we did intentionally. It just happened. There's Kalani with the media. All right, when we come back, that's enough football. We'll get to the best of the Jazz postgame show next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz had multiple chances to blow the Denver Nuggets out. They opened up leads, but then let the Nuggets right back in the game. The old cliche, if you let them hang around, something bad might happen, and it did. Denver dominated the final seven minutes, and they rally and win the game 98-95. Here's the best of the postgame show. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. Jazz drop a really tough one at home last night to the Denver Nuggets, 98-95. Poor execution down the stretch. Nikola Jokic had a monster game, including hit a fa- hitting a fadeaway to seal it at the end of the fourth quarter. He had 30 points, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists, a triple-double for the Joker last night. The Jazz were led by Mike Conley, who had 21 points, played a pretty good game on the offensive side, 6 of 13 shooting. He had 8 rebounds, 5 assists to go along with those 21 points, but that was about it from a positive side for the Utah Jazz. Donovan Mitchell really struggling with 18 points on 8 of 24 shooting. Rudy with uh, 16 points. He had 14 rebounds. Uh, Bogdanovich with 16 points, 5 assists and 5 boards, doing most of that damage in the first half. And Jordan Clarkson had 16 in 23 minutes coming in off the bench. Let's now get some post-game sound for you. Let's start with Quinn Snyder at the podium. Quinn, just big picture, what's going on with your team right now with, with five straight losses? Well, I think some of the little things that we were doing um, you know, we haven't we haven't done and it shows up a lot of different ways um, whether it's on the boards um, you know, breakdowns you know, getting back cut. Everybody's got to do their job defensively and then we've got to move the ball better. Um, and sometimes that means attacking, you know, early in a pick and roll situation, but having your eyes out and being disciplined with the ball. Um, you know, the, so it's, it's not one end. Um, it just collectively, um, there, there's, there's not one thing that you point to. Um, both ends affect each other. When we get a stop and don't get a rebound, um, we lose an opportunity to score. And... And then it's seven turnovers in the fourth quarter during you know crucial times, um, but again it's it's a collective, a collective awareness and a collective sense of urgency. Quinn, you had a couple of times in the second half where you went up 15 in the third quarter. I think you went up 10 in the fourth quarter, and then mm-hmm. everything just kind of stops. Like what? What leads to it going from working well one moment to it not the next? Yeah, just the, the, you know, execution. And, you know, this has been a team that, that uh, you know, when things have been hard, we've dug in and worked harder and, and pushed through it. And sometimes that happens, you know, in a practice or preparation. Sometimes it has to happen in the game. And, you know, we haven't, we, did, we certainly didn't do that tonight. Quinn, it seems like after talking to you and a lot of the guys over the past couple months that the philosophical approach that you have is we're not paying attention to wins or losses or records, Mm -hmm. that it's about getting better every Mm -hmm. game. So when it's not getting better, what's the message then? Well, I think it's the same, the same. I mean, we we haven't played, um, we haven't played well. Um, We've played sporadically and, you know, we're not as good. So we have to find that again, and 
you know, there's no easy answers. You know, it's, it's uh, when you have adversity on, on the scoreboard and in the form of losses, that's the time. Um, you know, that, that's your look in the mirror. And, um, you know, that's what, you know, I, I think we've, we've been doing that. No one has any illusions that we've been playing well, um, but we haven't been able, that hasn't translated. And it, you know, as you mentioned, there were times tonight where, um, you know, whether it be a lead or what, we, we, had, we had moments where we were playing well, and then we had moments where we, we weren't very good at all. And, you know, that type of inconsistency um, is not going to, it's going to, it's not going to translate to wins. So, I mean, are you able to look at the good parts from tonight? Um, you know, there's always good possessions in a game. You know, there's always things in, in a given situation that um, you do well, but you know the, those are when those are outweighed by the things you don't do well. You know that that's the result you get, and, and I think you know the best teams are able to give those consistent performances over the course of a game, and then you know over the course of multiple games, and um, that's not what we've been doing right now. I know Donovan's hard on himself in these situations, mm-hmm. but I mean he was forcing things. He did turn over the ball late. Is there things? That, is there something you can do as a coach to kind of help him out of those those moments? Yeah, I mean, it, you, there's whether it's film or you know extra work shooting the ball or practice or you know trying to make adjustments during the game. Um, you know, as you said, no one's more demanding of himself than Donovan, and you know he'll play better. And, I know how badly he wants to play well and how much he cares about winning, and you know that's where we are right now. You know that's where the character of the team kicks in, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll keep working and execute better and be better. But right now it doesn't feel very good. We're not playing well, and you know the, the losses are, are a reflection of that. I was Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder after a very tough loss to the Denver Nuggets, 98. To 95. Let's now hear from some of, uh, some of the players. Let's start off with Mike Conley. What's going on? Um, you know, tonight, uh, it, especially in the fourth quarter, I thought it just came down to um, execution and, and finishing possessions. You know, we did a good job throughout the game limiting, you know, uh, second chance points and trying to keep guys off the glass in the last, you know, three or four minutes. Um, you know, guys like Torrey Craig and <clears throat> all their, uh, their their wings and Jokic, all those guys got those extra possessions. And, um, you know, it's hard to close out from that. And it's hard to, to, to win games when you're not doing the things defensively. Uh, but offensively, you know, we just had too many turnovers, too many breakdowns to where we wouldn't get opportunities at the rim. Um, and like I said, that, that, that leads to you know, a loss. Why are those um, inconsistencies ha- happening on both ends of the floor? Um, it's tough. It's tough to say. Every night is different. You know. Um, you know. Tonight it was. You know. Sometimes just a lack of focus on the defensive end on certain guys. And um, like I said, tonight we we let let a few of the the offensive rebounds you know slip out of our hands, and um, they wanted it more. It looked like at that point, and, and we just have to. Uh, continue to, to try to close out as best as, as best we can, especially against the good teams. Regardless of who they play tonight, they're still a, a very good team with a lot of great players over there that, that play very hard. Not to you know, overstate this, but you know, that's a team, five games in seven days, seven players. Mm-hmm. How do you get beaten to lose balls as frequently as you guys did tonight? Um, exactly. You know, that's something we were just talking about. You know, we can't we can't, you know, obviously feel good at all about the effort 
that was that was put out there, especially uh, the inconsistent effort. You know, I thought that we started the game and, and, and played with fire, and then there's certain times, four or five minutes here and there, that we just we just didn't have it, and um, that's no excuse. You know, like you said, those guys were playing five and seven, have been on the road back to backs, uh, seven guys. Um, so we knew, you know, we knew they were going to come and play and, and leave it all out and play free, and, 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 you know, they handed it to us. When they're switching and bringing help like they did in the last few minutes of the game, what can you guys do to execute better offensively? Um, honestly, just, just be precise with what we do, you know. We have a bunch of guys who can handle it, a bunch of guys who we trust with the ball. Um, so at, at that point in the game, we just move the ball, continue, continue to move them on the defensive end, and, and um, and try to get to the rim and put pressure on the rim, um, and, and that's what we you know just failed to do at the end of the game. Four more games to the All Star break. What are some good things to keep in perspective at a time like this? Uh, it's still still quite early in our sense. You know, obviously after All Star break is when you you it's, it's you know you're thinking about setting up for the playoffs and you're thinking about you know it's a marathon obviously, but it's kind of a sprint to the finish at that point. So um, you know just continue to try to build, continue to try to learn from these games that we're having right now. Because um, in this league, it's, it's a game a game of runs, a game of makes and misses, and um, you'll win five, you'll lose five, and, and it's about you know just staying staying consistent, persistent, and, and working through it, no matter the good or the bad. So I think we'll be all right. What was the mood like, and what were the conversations like after the game here? Um, you know, guys were obviously upset, but um, you know, just trying to find solutions. It wasn't anybody you know necessarily going at each other or anything like that. Just us just sitting down, talking, trying to figure it out together, uh, which which is what we've done all year, and uh, I have no doubt that we'll we'll figure it out. Guys, that's Mike Conley. Let's go back to you. That's Mike Conley with that veteran kind of presence, uh, even keeled nature in his post game comments, and he did have a good game with twenty one points, eight boards, and five assists. Let's now let you hear from Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, um, they came out physical. You know, we were up, but, you know, they we kept looking to the rest, including myself, trying to bail us out of stuff. Um, we just got to be stronger. Um, got to get hits on box outs, little things. You can't turn the ball over. Um, I think I have four, um, two big ones, I think. You know, it's going to be more precise. You know, this isn't how we've been playing, like I've been saying, but, you know, um, they're just a little too comfortable. Um, especially on the second night of back-to-back, you know, you give them credit too, but we're better than that. How much did uh, effort and energy play into execution? Down the I think we, had, I think there was effort. You know, I can't, I can't say we didn't fight. You know, we we, we competed. You know, but um, there's just times we could do a little more uh, by everybody, and um, I think it's gonna be more precise in what we do. Um, take care of the ball. Little things get hits. Um, yeah. What is this team as a group most displeased about in this one time? There's no way we lose this game. Um, well, I really got like much as there's no way, you know, I think. Um, and you could point at every little thing, you know, but it's not just one person or one incident or one turnover. You could say it's my turnover. You could say it's a miss shot. You could say it, whatever it may be. Like, you know, there's, there's no way for us to be who we want to be and who we have been. You know, for us to lose this game, um, yeah. Just to follow that up, that's one of the beautiful things about the culture here is accountability. Um, mm-hmm. Next time you get to practice, what's the mood of the practice going to be? Um, really, can't do much more. You know, we did everything we needed to do in the two days. Um, at the point, there's a point in time where it comes down on 
us and executing. You know, coach can say what he wants. You know, we can go out there and practice a thousand times, but we practice box outs. You know, we worked on that. We didn't get enough hits. You know, you can't practice not turning the ball over. Um, Jokic had 30. Jamal Murray had 30. You know, they just you can't really do too much. You know, at the end of the day, like Gary Harris, I think he went like over 12, and they still won. You know, like. You know, and they didn't have Will Barton and Jeremy Grant. Like, there's, there's no way we, we, we lose games like that. But we'll, like I said, we'll figure it out. You know, and um, we're not going to sit here and just, you know, call it quits and say, oh, well, you know, we're going to keep fighting. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like there are times where you put pressure on yourself after a misplay to then try to make it up on the next play. Do you feel that? And I guess, how do you get out of that routine? Of like, on offense or defense? On offense, especially. Where um, not so much this year. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really look at it like that. Um, Biggest thing for me is just trying to make the same plays I have been. You know, I can pretty much say every missed shot except for probably two, and every decision I made was the same one I'd make. You know, if I had 30, you know, what I mean, like I, I don't regret any of my decisions. I mean, the, the one where I lost the ball twice, um, it came from behind my back, I couldn't hear anything, and then the other one was um, it's just good defense. You know, I can't really sit here and say I want like I wish I did something different. They're just good defense. Um, you know, I said I took the same shot that I did in the first half and I made it, you know, and when to put it, I think, at 95. So I'm not really tripping off of, you know, that. I think the biggest thing was Jamal Murray had 31 points um, on 12 or 26 shooting, uh, way too comfortable. Um, you know, and it's tough when you don't guard. It's tough when you don't do the little things. And um, I think I had one assist on four turnovers. You know, that's where really my head's at and, you know, stepping up. Let me ask about this. You guys are up 71 56. I mean, that, is, is that a situation where you guys got to step on this road? Yeah. Was that a time point? Hey, it just reminds, uh, reminds me of like November, you know, when you get up and you're like, all right, like we're here, they're going to quit. They're not going to quit. You know, this isn't like we're playing a team that just isn't playing for anything. They're playing for the same thing we are, same division. You know, technically it's really a rapper game. I don't remember the last time they've won here, you know, and I think they took that. They came out and showed that, you know, I think they, they and, I think we just didn't we we just didn't execute. You know, when we get up 15, you know, we can go one of two ways. You know, we've been doing it. We've been we. So it's not like that's what makes this loss even worse because it's like we haven't shown it. You know, we've been doing it for a month, months, perhaps two months. So like we've been doing it. So now it's a matter of like where is it going? You know, why are we not doing it? And we just gotta find it within ourselves. Guys, that's Donovan Mitchell. Let's go back to you. Donovan Mitchell, who certainly struggled, he did have 18 points, but 8 of 24 shooting. He had 8 rebounds and an assist, but uh, you could hear the frustration in the comments that Donovan made right there, uh, thinking that they certainly let one get away, and there's no doubt about it as they fall 98-95. to Let's now finish things up and let you hear from Rudy Gobert. It's a very frustrating loss. You know, we felt like we were controlling the game, but we, we lost our focus down the stretch. These guys are a pretty good team, you know, in the clutch, so they, they took advantage of it. Why do you think that's been happening lately, the loss of focus? I mean, I feel like, you know, we've got to be tougher mentally. Uh, we've got to be better, not just down the stretch, but when we, we up 15 or, you know, up 10 points, we get comfortable. We start taking bad shots, we start giving up offensive rebounds. You know, we, I feel like we don't have the the mentality of a very good team, you know, when like, when like you almost have a team that's on the back-to-back and you have 15, that's when your focus got to be at the highest level and that's when you got to give the last punch and, you know, they're probably going to give up if you, you get up 20 and 25, but instead we just choose to, you know, get comfortable and 
give the ball away and you know give up offensive rebounds and do all that. So it's you know it's, it's not the end of the world, but you know it was a pretty big game, especially for the rankings and you know tiebreaker and all that stuff. At the end of the day, you know we still got I don't know how many more games, 35. Or, so it's not the end of the world, but we can learn from it. How did they get all those loose balls that, you know, you I feel like every the last five games, the teams that we play want any more than we do. And, I mean, it's not that we can talk about the schedule, but we had three days off. I mean, three days, two days of practice, but, you know, we still should be the freshest team. And, you know, they're just, they're just not the toughest team. And, you know, toughness, mental toughness is kind of like the number one thing that got us where we are right now. So we... Just gotta get it back. You know, we, we have it, but we don't have it all the time. So it's it's gotta be all the time and everyone that steps on the court gotta have that. Is there something that's led like is there a moment that led to this? Because obviously you guys won nineteen of twenty one and then all of a sudden it's this five straight where it does seem like you guys have been beaten to every ball. I don't think there's a moment. I think it came like you know, slowly came like we you know, subconsciously you, you win. I don't know how many games, 19 and 21, you, you think you, you, you're a good team. And I think we are a very good team, but you kind of let that, let that edge go a little bit. And we got to understand that the number one reason why we're so good is because we play as a team and because we're a tough team defensively. You know, if, as long as we keep that, we stay together and keep that toughness, uh, I'm pretty sure we can beat anyone. You know, and that's what we've been doing. Along those lines, you feel like complacency maybe crept in a little bit as a result of that long winning streak. Like I just said, subconsciously, you know, it's it's human nature to kind of like you know start winning, and you forget about the number one reason why you're winning. You know, and it happens to every team. I mean, every team in the world. You know, it's it's not just us, but it's. You know, the reaction is taking a little too long right now. So it's, I feel like we played a pretty good game tonight beside, uh, you know, the last few minutes when we, and the few stretches when we could extend the lead and we get comfortable, you know, so it's, you know, it's not the end of the world. There's Rudy Gobert who had 16 points, 14 rebounds, but not enough as Nikola Jokic was just a monster. 30 points, 21 boards, 10 assists. Jamal Murray was also very good. 31 points on 12 of 26 shooting as the Nuggets only played seven players last night because of injury and, of course, uh, trading three players and still waiting for that monster trade uh, to go through. Next up for the Utah Jazz, they'll take on the Portland Trailblazers at home coming up tomorrow night. Later start, 8.30. It's a national TV game. Pre-game begins at 7.30. There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.